Well, hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation. There's, there's, there's just too many lately that lives at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. My friends, back in the day, there was a thriving and largely uncontested entertainment industry that was buoyed by a media complex which carefully crafted its image. But in the age of the internet, where independent content creators have stolen the thunder from show business, there's always been, there's also been a subsequent rise of fascinating creators who dissect and analyze the industry, cut right through the PR spin, and give their audiences a glimpse into what's really going on behind the curtain. And I've got one of the best in the game here with me today to give his views about the state of the entertainment industry and more. But first, however you're consuming this podcast, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you prefer to scratch your CDP itch, make sure to leave a like, a comment, or a review if you're nasty. If you're watching on YouTube, I would deeply appreciate you if you subscribed. And as always, you can help this podcast and community grow by sharing this show as much as possible. If you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies. You can also find me on Rumble where I put exclusive and sometimes spicy content that you can't find anywhere else. So be sure to sign up there and support me on Locals while you're at it. The links will be in the show notes. Lastly, I'm a one-man operation. I prefer not to be a starving artist, so I want to thank my supporters at Locals, my paid subscribers on my newsletter, The State of the Arts, and to the generous souls who donate via PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App. Thank you so much. It helps keep me pushing to bring you conversations that you love. But I could always use more. Now, Without further ado, my guest today hails from the tropical paradise known as Norway and uh, has a background in finance and banking, but he's also a very gifted entertainment analyst, podcast host, and crucially, the creator of Midnight's Edge, one of my favorite YouTube channels where you'll find intelligent, spin-free analysis and big picture commentary about the business, drama, and politics that take place behind the scenes in Hollywood. Beautiful people, please welcome the brilliant Andre Einhagar to the Clifton Duncan podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Andre. Did I butcher your last name? No, that was pretty good. I'm impressed. That's uh, <laughs> that's um, better than I've heard pretty much anyone say in their first attempt. And that's quite an intro. Wow, I'll try to live uh, live up to it. So yeah, thanks for having me. Well, of course. Well, everyone always says that. And then, of course, they end up being uh, interesting. I, I never I never talk to bums and losers. So uh, so there's there's that. But I found your um, I found your uh, your channel originally because you you dove into the um, the utter uh, shall we say fluster cuck that was uh, the the Fantastic Four reboot and oh, yeah uh, good times yeah very very good times much simpler times and uh, it, it, I was so struck by just the the depth with, with that, uh, that that you approached the issue with and. Uh, then I, you know, I read a little bit more about you, or you read, you sent me more about yourself, and I was just like, okay, this guy has a background in like finance and banking. So I guess my first question is, you know, what on earth prompted you to create a channel and say, Let, let's start talking about movies? Well, actually, it's a long story because uh, I started Midnight Sedge in 2015 with uh, with a friend of mine who's American, who uh, who's also a big film fan like myself, Kevin, and the two of us started Midnight Sedge because. Um, We'll get back to why we started it, uh, but yeah, I'm in I'm in finance. That's my background: banking, finance, corporate drama, all of that stuff. The things that I analyze in Hollywood, 
that is the stuff that I used to do myself because the investment banking industry is very much like Hollywood or rather Hollywood is an aspect of the entertainment uh, or, or rather of the investment banking industry because that's ultimately what it's about rather than investing in sugar or in cattle or in some other kind of share or commodity you invest in entertainment products but the, beyond that, it's largely the same principles that apply, which makes it relatively easy to analyze what's going on as long as you know the rules of banking and investment in general. And I was always fascinated by that because while I worked in banking full time, my passion was always cultured genre media, comics, movies. These are the things that interested me at a personal level. While I was studying, when I should be studying more, perhaps, I was spending time on the IMDb forums, debating movies, debating behind-the-scenes politics, all of this. I was really engaged in reading my Punisher and Conan and Judge Dredd comics when I probably should be reading more financial theory and standard deviations and what have you, right? So that was always my passion and my industry. Uh, and... Uh, well, not my industry, but certainly my passion and my interest. And uh, as I built my career in, in finance, it was, it was all good and well. But I wasn't passionate about it the way that I was the entertainment industry. At the same time, what I noticed when I was reading the industry trades, which I did out of pure interest, was the spin. To me, it was so very easy to see what was actually happening behind the scenes based on the official reporting, but at the same time, the spin that came in the official trades was just completely missing the mark. Like, for instance, here, I would, as someone used to, to picking out the little details and stuff like that, with, with any hedge fund manager or something like that, every little statement that indicates something else, they, it, all the industry trades were filled with them all the time. So many red flags of things that were wrong, and they just glossed over them completely. It was like, okay, I want to read more about that. I want to learn more about that. Why are these trades not writing about it? Why do... Uh, fan web pages, like for instance, Ain't It Cool News, do a better job at explaining what is going on sometimes than, for instance, Variety and Hollywood Reporter. Why is this? Why don't they just be honest and say what is going on? It's not going to hurt anyone. If anything, it's going to demystify the process. Just exposing what's going on is going to lead to better movies and to better products and more money in the end. But of course, then you have the egos that come in, which, uh, which uh, of course, override that. And it was partially frustration with that, mixed with that I felt that I was in a job where I'm just one of the many ants or many, one of the many hamsters in the wheel, where I didn't really mean anything. I kind of felt that life was passing me by. The universe was passing me by. Society culture was passing me by. You had this new generation of celebrities. You had new independent commentators. Everything was just kind of like changing. And the things that we're talking about right now, how YouTube in many ways has overtaken the traditional media. 
That had already begun back in 2015, not so much with YouTube, but with MySpace and stuff at the time, you still had like this trend of those that could started to get their voice out there and heard. And I felt a little bit left out. And that was a big part of the inspiration for why I decided to start a YouTube channel. Why entertainment and Hollywood specifically? Well, one, I'm qualified to do it because of my background. But at the same time, my buddy Kevin, with whom I started Midnight Sedge, he was also really into that. He has some industry connections. He's also really deep into the fan sphere. So between us, we had a lot of skills that actually could be put to use in a YouTube channel. YouTube was very different back then. You didn't have the same kind of punditry, certainly not where genre entertainment is concerned, as you have today. Today, you have your Nadrotic, you have your Geeks and Gamers, you have your Heel versus Babyface, you have your WW Pro. At the time, yeah, Nerdrotic may have been there, Geeks and Gamers may have been there, but, but they weren't at the statue where they are right now. The only ones that kind of like were visible in the game were AMC Movie Talk, which is what John Campia was hosting at the time. That was the pioneer behind it all. And they, they did good, but nine times out of ten, they bought all of the spin from the entertainment media complex, hook, line, and sinker every single time and the really frustrating incident to me was fantastic as you mentioned because to me that is the most corporate product that ever was so not only was it a corporate product doesn't have to be anything wrong with that but it was a decidedly anti-fan product as in this is something that is made against the interest of the fans and against the interest of the property in question purely for corporate reasons and nothing else. And still you had your John Campia practically creaming himself over how amazing this was, how talented the director was, how talented the cast was. And all of those are talented um, individually, but they were all miscast. All Not a single person there was the right fit for the job. The director was talented, but not for that. The cast were talented, but not for that. So you basically had like a match made in hell of where basically everything was wrong. And it was so obvious to those actually paying attention that this project right here, this was a bonfire behind the scenes. And everyone was pretending everything was fine. And that was a big part of the creation of Midnight Sedge, certainly, uh, certainly the first major story then, which was uncovering and making public what the entertainment trades didn't do until months and months later, namely the true horror that was the behind-the-scenes story of Fantforstic. Well, you know, you said a lot there. I think one thing that I've noticed, um, you know, and everyone should go watch that series if you haven't seen it already. It's fantastic. Uh, no pun intended. But it, you know, the the rise of these independent creators, and you mentioned, you know, I mean, a friend of mine, Nerd Roddick and, uh, and Heel vs. Babyface, all these people. Um, you know, the entertainment media complex, because I was in it at one point, as you know, and you know, there's a certain point in your career as an actor where you say, well, now I need a publicist. And then you figure out that that's, you know, that's how you get all of the invitations to red carpet events and, oh, and premieres and these kinds of things. And that's, you know, how you're able to manage and sculpt your image. And that is how, you know, often a lot of times what, what we call stars are simply um, uh 
creations of this entertainment media complex. But the a, a theme, an underlying theme, I think, between um, it, to what you were saying or subtext is there's this idea where the these independent creators now seem to be uh, the voice of the fans and of the regular people in, in a broad sense, while the those who are still trapped in the entertainment media complex, they're they're sort of in, you know, cocooned in this ivory tower in a way, and they keep moving further and further away from the tastes of the average person. And I see the commentary um, and the analysis coming from channels like yours. And I, I say to myself, well, geez, it's so it's so much more thoughtful and so much more insightful than I see from anything coming out of these trades, which you're supposed to read, you know, as an actor. And um, it just, it just, it's stunning to me because it seems like, um, you know, or, or do you, do you think that, uh, that your genre, your commentary channels like these have had any sort of measurable impact uh, in Hollywood or in the entertainment media um, in general? Do you know what I mean? I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you mean, and I think so. Uh, I don't think it has uh, had anything to do where the big decisions are being made right now. I don't think it has impacted the Bob Igers or the David Zaslaws or anything like that. But I think it has impacted the level beyond that. Those who are runners right now, those who are up-and-coming producers, they are as likely to listen to channels like ours, to Nordrotic as they are to reading the trades. Uh, in fact, I know many who are up and coming in Hollywood, and this is part of what they do. I mean, I know of writers that say, whenever I write a script before I submit it in, I'm thinking, how would the critical drinker tear this apart? <laughs> so I think that it is happening and that it's having an impact on the generation that is upcoming and that eventually is going to supplant the one who makes the decisions right now. So I think long term, it absolutely is going to have an impact. And I also think uh, what many see is that channels like ours, like Nordrotic, our commentary tends to hold up better than what you see in the entertainment media complex. Oftentimes, the entertainment media complex comes and confirms our scoops and our reporting months or even years later. The most recent example, for instance, is CNBC that recently did a massive expose, which I commend them for, on everything that happened behind the scenes uh, at Disney in the transition from Bob Iger to Bob Chapek and back to Iger. And they basically confirmed everything that we were reporting at the time. In fact, there's some details that they missed, which we documented. And I think that is not uh, not lost on on quite a few people out there, including people in the industry. If you're a fan of the Clifton Duncan podcast, you'll love my new newsletter called The State of the Arts. Sign up for free for weekly articles as well as the latest information on my upcoming projects, shows, events, and appearances. And for just $5 a month, you can hear me bring my articles to life in my velvety baritone voice. Join the growing heterodox arts movement and subscribe to The State of the Arts today at cliftonduncan.substack.com. Fascinating. Do you do you ever uh, see that there may be some point in the future where these two worlds might converge, where you know maybe maybe Hollywood or the sort of mainstream entertainment industry might be a little bit more uh, receptive to, 
I don't know, maybe a dialogue or feedback, I mean, or even, you know, even creative input um, to, to be really far-fetched about it. Because, it, because I, 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 mean, I mean, I love watching channels like yours, and I'll get to one of the reasons in a second. But, you know, the, it, it just seems to me like a lot of what you were saying, like, as you said, you know, ends up being, being proven. And it seems to me like the, they, would, they would continue to ignore you at their own peril. I mean, it might sound far-fetched, but do you ever see a realm where um, there might be more overlap between these two worlds? I see something slightly different. Uh, I do not see any kind of outreach. For instance, I do not see the Variety or the Hollywood Reporter or anyone in Penske Media reaching out to, to us or to Nerdrotic or anything like that for commentary. But what I do see, and what is already happening, is other alternative media doing that. Uh, for instance, we mentioned Geeks and Gamers. They have been featured on The Daily Wire. I myself have been interviewed by, by other online newspapers uh, in, in America, Texas Scorecard being one. Uh, so what I see happening, rather than some kind of merging of the of the current uh, entertainment media complex and the new independent media, let's let's call ourselves that, is that the independent media is going to multiply. It's going to be more interconnected, and in time, that is going to rival the establishment media complex. I think that is what's going to happen. And maybe who knows exactly how things are, are playing out. I'm not going to say that it's going to, to supplant it uh, ever, but it may become more important, eventually become a force to be recognized with on its own, in a sense, becoming an alternate mainstream rather than, than the two merging. Yeah, more of like a, a, a parallel machine in a way. Yeah, a parallel machine, exactly. I think that's... Yeah. That's the direction we're heading. And honestly, I think that's probably healthy because when you look at the current establishment media complex, it is not about the integrity of the properties they adapt. It is not about the art itself. It is about the money. It is about egos. It is about preserving special interest. Like for instance, Look at uh, look at the talk shows uh, on the late night talk shows. The very first thing to return after the writer strike is over. Why is it there? Well, it's because Hollywood has been told that they are needed to, to tell some that. Well, the entertainment media complex has been told that all your movies are bombing because your stars aren't on Stephen Colbert prom promoting your latest movies. So this is kind of kind of like how it's all connected, and maybe that isn't so necessary. Maybe as people are leaving those platforms, maybe as fewer and fewer people watch the late night talk shows, maybe as fewer read the entertainment media trades and more and more flock towards the alternate side, the, the balance of power is going to shift. Well, you know, you, you mentioned um, the profit motive, and I, I often joke that, you know, we, I, I kind of wish for the days that, um, that the studios were only interested in making money because in the past they, you know, that was the same complaint. 
but yet they were still turning out a lot of classics. I mean, you go back and, you know, I love to go back and I think I mentioned this to you uh, previously, but go back and watch um, like old episodes of Siskel and Ebert to find, you know, maybe, maybe forgotten gems or hits you didn't know about. And sure, you know, you, you could dismiss films as commercial fluff, but at least they seemed more connected to a, you know, to a more popular sentiment of what was going on. But now, you know, the, we keep seeing bomb after bomb after bomb. And it seems like, well, why do they keep making these kinds of movies? Um, even though it's clear they're not making money. Sure, you have a Barbie or a Top Gun Maverick that kind of breaks out of the mold every once in a while. But this kind of transitions into something I want to talk to you about is, uh, you know, I mean, I think one of the biggest dramatic shifts that I've seen is you look at the first three phases of the MCU, for instance, and then the last, um, the last phase or the most recent phase, and you see just a nosedive, not in, only in terms of quality, but also in terms of profitability. And yet you see these studios keep making the same mistakes. And as it relates to you and, and your field and your expertise, I mean, I love your background and, uh, you know, and, and finance and banking and sort of the, the political intrigue or behind the scenes, because it's interesting. And one of the things I, I loved about your channel is that you, tr you really stayed out of the kind of um, socio-political commentary that I think a lot of other channels, you know, kind of fall into the trap of making. However, I've noticed that you found it increasingly difficult not to talk about it. Has it? It is. <laughs> you know, I mean, have you noticed that shift? Because I mean, because it's weird because, you know, you mentioned the profit motive and I, I almost wish there was a return to films that would actually make money. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, it's more difficult not to talk about the social, economic, yeah, uh, and um, ideopolitical perspective there. And going back to what I said before, the, the the things determining the current industrial complex isn't just profit. It is also special interest. I believe I I mentioned that, mm -hmm. and that is certainly what has happened with uh, with Marvel since uh, since uh, Phase Three. There was a time when it was just profit driven, but as it becomes really success uh, successful and popular with the mainstream, then you have some special interest behind the scenes that sees these properties as a good venue to run, let's call it influencer campaigns. I think that's a nice word that I believe even YouTube would be exactly enough. And then you can supplant another term uh, for, for those that want to do that. But yeah, let's just say that uh, these movies uh, pushing what is called the message, they're not making any mistakes. They're taking, uh, they're taking influencer assignments. There, there is a will behind them and it's not, it's not directly driven by profit, as in the people who are pushing this don't do it because they think that this is going to make movies so and so so much more successful. Or you can argue that by okay, we do introduce so much more, uh, so much more diversity, and then these movies that everyone and their mother all over the world in every country saw anyway is going to see even more. There's a problem with that like you're not going to expand the audience even more that way so so clearly profitability is not the uh, the key goal there there's another influencer thing that someone is paying well for behind the scenes and because that is a that is a fact that is going on which i also do know from the financial industry but it's something that i try to be very careful in commenting because 
uh, the, we are primarily on YouTube and on YouTube you have to be very careful with what you say because we want to try to stay away from the politics of any individual nation but at the same time there are some definite political influences behind the scenes which explains what has been going on with all of these major studio pictures the last five years. Well, you know, they're, I mean, I don't know how tactful I can be. I mean, certainly on this channel, I've, I've weighed into it just because I've had a personal experience, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen these things unfold from the You've inside. You've seen it, exactly. You know, I mean, I've, I've gotten, I think one of the reasons that I didn't, um, I mean, I turned down so many auditions because I would get these scripts and they were just so utterly ridiculous. Um, either they were, um, one story I like to tell, and I think this actually got made, but there was a, you know, this uh, series about astronauts and um, there was one scene, the audition scene was that myself and my, um, my, I think, I think it was my wife um, were like sprinting in the desert at the end of, uh, you know, this exercise montage and, and the, you know, the script itself mentioned, um, you know, certain buzz buzzwords that we would all recognize uh, from a certain, um, uh, <laughs> a certain uh, a political persuasion. And, um, but yet we're, so we're, we're both sprinting full out in the desert and the script makes sure to uh, point out that we're both in peak physical condition and, but we're splint, we're sprinting uh, flat out. And, uh, the, the, the script says in italics and she wins. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, as an actor, I have to figure out how to justify why, if we're both in peak physical condition and we're both sprinting flat out, like why on earth would I lose, you know, and you know, and you know, it's not because they're interested in telling any kind of realistic story. It's really about pushing a certain sort of um, worldview or perspective, or you get these scripts where, you know, I mean, I'm 6'3", and, um, you know, not not a, a frail person, but you'd get these scripts where it's like, okay, my character is a special forces, you know, ex-FBI or, or ex-Marine or something, and um, I'm engaged in this fight, and it's not a superhero film or anything like that, but you're engaged in this fight with your female co-star, and she, of course, miraculously ends up winning. And uh, or there'd be some other script where, you know, there's an obvious you know, racial overtone, you know what I mean? So they're trying to engineer society as opposed to tell good stories. And, you know, I, I think people are people notice that they're not dumb and they're really sick of it. And, um, you know, I, and I hope that it, you know, it turns around uh, in, in some way. I mean, you, we, you sort of alluded to that before we before we began recording. But at the same time, I also know that uh, every year, and I've been mentioning this recently, that the industry is flooded anew with, you know, screenwriters, actors, designers, directors, et cetera, who have gone through these sort of these um, BFA, MFA, you know, university programs, which, which didn't exist decades ago. And that's how people now are getting funneled into the industry is through these programs. So after 12 years, 16 years, 19 years of, um, I guess I'll say indoctrination, then they go into the industry. And that's a that that's a problem that won't be um, resolved or rooted out easily no it's going to take every bit as long as it took to uh, took to create to resolve that problem but there are positive steps a lot can be done by simply by the audience voting with their uh, their wallet and uh, i submit as evidence the uh, theatrical year 2023 by which i mean the movies coming out this year compared to movies of earlier years because yeah you have those uh, you certainly have those movies that seem to be driven by a certain agenda if you will where 
some ideology is placed in the driver's seat and reality just has to just has to yield it used to be just a couple of years ago when those movies would be coming from all the studios but now this year it's mostly just disney it's mostly the the marvel and the star wars productions of course they are so big they are seen by so many people that one can easily get the impression that this is all of hollywood but in reality disney is among pretty much the last um, last one standing there the one of the bitter enders because if you look at the rest of the movies this year very few of them actually has that ideopolitical political messaging i'm not going to say that there isn't some but there is significantly less than we have seen in recent years for instance where was it in equalizer 3 where was it in mission impossible we could run through the list of movies released this year and then we can compare which studio put them out and to a very large extent, there were far few message-driven movies to be released this year than there have been in more recent years. And I think that is because this, this financial will behind the scenes that is pushing these, that basically uses Hollywood as influencers to push a certain message. Yeah, they, they control much of the money supply. There are some additional incentives, but they're not going to make up for the audience just tuning out. A movie will be in better shape if the audience supports it than if you have some additional funding behind the scenes, but the audience rejects it. And that is the lesson that Hollywood is finding out. And we look at all these big budget movies that are failing. It's mostly the message-driven Disney movies that are failing. And also uh, The Flash and the other dc movies there's some message in there not too much there's mostly other reasons why the, those are failing i maintain that the dc movies for a long time have been upheld and artificially boosted by the quality of the marvel movies audiences had such a good time with marvel movies that that gave additional spillover goodwill to all other comic book movies most notably dc movies but as the Marvel movies became message-driven, the audience tuned out of those. And then the DC movies were never that great, certainly not in the past decade. And then it's just more shitty comic book movies. That's why they're failing. In addition to, of course, everyone knows they're being rebooted. So every single DC movie coming out now is creative dead end anyway. So why go check it out? So that's why those movies are failing. But then look beyond that. Look at the smaller and the mid-budget movies, which I think is going to be making a return. And there, things are much, much healthier. Uh, yeah, sure, the movies are more diverse, but that's, a, but that's a good thing. I mean, even within Disney, look at the Haunted Mansion. I know not a lot of people like that movie. It certainly flocked with audiences. I think that is um, a statement to, to how badly audiences have been put off by disney because the movie itself is really not that bad it is diverse but it isn't woke it isn't message driven it's just diverse there's nothing wrong with do you drink coffee or tea 
Of course you do. And that's why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. If you don't drink coffee, try Tatura Tea, my personal favorite, made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. Pro tip, add some ginger, lemon, honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have the perfect, sexy, soothing concoction. Support small business and this podcast and order from TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Again, that is TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Well, it's interesting. I do think that there we're on the age or on the verge, I should, I should say, of a, a golden age in independent filmmaking, just because everyone's making their own stuff now. They're putting out their own, um, they're putting out their own content. And, um, you know, I, I certainly hope that um, we are moving in a more audience driven direction, you know, a more money hungry direction where studios say they actually want to make money and bad movies can just be bad just because they're actually bad as opposed to, you know, they're, they're failing in terms of their messaging. Um, you know, it, it's sort of a, a nice way to segue into, um, and you mentioned this before. Um, oh, oh, I know what I want to say. Um, it, it's because, you know, and, and I don't know what your perspective is as someone who isn't here in the States, you know, I'd be interested in this because, um, you know, my, one of my big fears right now, my big concerns, one of the reasons that I, you know, make the kind of commentary that I do is because I do feel like, um, you know, not outside of um, politics and religion, you know, art and popular entertainment, you know, are, are big unifiers, you know, it's one of the few places the movies you can go the movies are one of the few places you can go to where you sit in a dark room full of strangers and laugh and cry and cheer um, with people that you don't know, despite whoever they voted for or whatever their their perspective might be. And I think that's such a healthy thing for society, especially one that seems to be, you know, coming apart at the seams like ours. And, um, you know, so I, I hope that that these positive developments you're talking about um, um, manifest themselves at least later on down the road in more in a more healthy society. That's my sort of pie in the sky dream. Um, sure. I wanna... Can I just stop you for one moment there? Sure. I just want to elaborate on that because you said something really important right there, and that is part of the mission that we always had at Miss Midnight's Edge. We have always been about preserving the integrity of the characters and the properties that are being adapted in any given adaptation. Of course, we ha I have a penchant for things like the Punisher or Conan or Judge Dredd, but really it doesn't matter. Across the board, you have to be really protective of the integrity of whatever it is that you're adapting. And you said it right there. These aren't just movies. They are culture. And for America in particular, they are extra important. Because characters like Superman, like Batman, like Star Wars, they're not just movies. They are the American mythology. For instance, I'm from Norway. We have Norse mythology. Uh, every country around Europe, every country around the world, they're going to have their own national cultural icons that bind them together, that is part of the cohesion that binds people that together, that makes them Norwegian, that makes them Swedish, that makes them Scandinavian, Nordic, European, African, Egyptian, whatever. There's always going to be some kind of things that binds the culture together. I submit that in America, it is your movies. It is Star Wars. 
It is Spider-Man. It is those things. Those things are the American culture, the modern American culture, the thing that everyone has in common. Doesn't matter if you are conservative, doesn't matter if you're Republican, doesn't matter if you're independent. A whole generation of Americans grew up on Star Wars and they passed it on to their children. It became a part of the fabric of the culture. It's one of the things, one of the references. For just for instance, look in the Avengers when you have Steve Rogers, who's been frozen for a better part of a century. He's a man out of time. And suddenly he's like, I caught that reference. A reference from The Wizard of Oz. Because that's American culture. A movie that he had seen in his time, but that had since become part of the cultured and the popular vernacular. That's what movies are in America. And when you muck with those, when you go in and you deliberately try to subvert them, and subvert is a negative term, there's nothing positive about that. Trying to surprise the audience is positive. But when Ryan Johnson said that he went in to subvert expectations with Star Wars, there's nothing good about that. That's destroying Star Wars, or rather, it's destroying that little aspect of American culture that little aspect of something that binds people together. Yeah, that's just one little thing. Not everyone cares about Star Wars. Personally, I don't care that much. But it's one part of many, many different things. And when you start chipping away at enough of those things, you start ruining the culture. You start taking away the things that bind people together. That is why it's important to preserve the integrity of such characters and such stories. Wow, such an amazing uh, point. And it's really encapsulates a lot of why I started this, um, this podcast, really. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever quite heard someone um, articulate uh, that point so eloquently. And you hear people all the time say, oh, it's just comic books, it's just video games, it's just Star Wars or whatever. Um, but it, 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 these are elements that all tie us together, as you've said. And, uh, you know, it's just a brilliant, brilliant point that you just made. Um, last thing I want to uh, ask you, um, and we you alluded to this before uh, we went live, so to speak. Um, you've been keeping a close eye on the um, on the strikes, obviously, going on in Hollywood. Uh, the Writers Guild just reached a deal. Um, I, I'm, I'm presuming, I mean, I still get the SAG after emails. I don't know where the actors are at and uh, I don't care for various reasons. But um, what, what, given uh, the fallout from that, what, what is your assessment of, well, A, the fallout from the strikes and also your prognosis of um, where the industry might be headed as a result? I think that the industry will be returning to some sense of normality, for lack of better term. It's going to be a bumpy road, but that is the road the industry is, uh, is heading. Again, case in point, if you take Disney out of the equation, and even with Disney, you can actually keep the Haunted Mansion in the equation. If you just look at everything else, most of the movies that came out this year were pure entertainment movies, very void of the message. And for an even better example, which does pertain to, to Disney, and this is relatively breaking news at the time when we are recording this, Daredevil 
the Daredevil reboot by Marvel, the one that they had bragged was going to be so completely different from the Netflix series, which is stupid because the Netflix series was popular. So why would you want to be differentiate yourself from it, from something popular that people want to see continue? Anyway, that's how they how they build it. And everything we have uh, we have been told and everything that has gotten out suggests that it was fairly heavy on the message. Let's put it that mm. way. What's happening? It's now being scrapped and it's going back to the back to the drawing board with the writers and the directors all being let go while they're looking for someone else to to take this in a different direction. And I've also heard from from other people in the know that it's not just Daredevil. It's several of their other properties as well. And I'm sure that part of that is because they can't take any more else. They need to get the audience on board. I believe that uh, even one of the executives in Paramount recently said something to the effect of, we're not just making movies for L.A. and New York. A statement like that could never have been said a couple of years ago. Then they wanted to make movies that reflected what the world actually looks like. Of course, from their point of, uh, of view, what they meant by the world was their postcode in L.A. Because no world anywhere looks like what Hollywood output has, uh, has produced the last few years. And all of those statements... And the audience uh, buying dollars tells me that the industry is slowly, slowly trying to go back to where the money is. Uh, they will never admit that they did wrong. They will never admit that they got sucked in by an ESG game or were tempted by additional ESG funding or even access to a funding that they previously took for granted. But when the audience isn't there, it doesn't help what kind of funding you have up front. At some point, your entire brand is going to take a hit. And that is what Disney is experiencing right now. I mean, just look at them. Ten years ago, they were thought to be infallible. They were the envy of Hollywood, and they're not even a film company, first and foremost. They're a parks company. But now, because of what's been going on in their movies, even their parks are failing across the world because audiences have lost faith in the Disney brand. And that is because they have got sucked in by, by a certain message that has backfired tremendously because the audience simply isn't there. And in order to survive long-term, other than short-term with, again, getting some additional funding and getting getting glad to, to write something nice about the studio in their end-of-year report, you want the audience in your side for a healthy long-term business. And that, I think, is where Hollywood is going. Uh, that's also one of the outcomes after the writing strikes. All the writers that were celebrating at the picket lines pointed out that, uh, oh, yeah, we, we won. We got the minimum writer's room and everything. And what happened in the end? Well, the only ones that benefit from that are the more experienced writers, the young ones. The, the ones that came in for reasons other than their talent, let's put it that way, there's certainly no room for them in the industry. They'll be the first ones out the door. Well, I certainly hope that uh, this portends more positive developments in the industry. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about from the acting perspective as well. I mean, you know, the, 
going back to the whole Daredevil thing, I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, the Netflix series. And, uh, you know, you have to, and I, I alluded to this earlier, but if you're a, a smart and capable um, and serious actor, if, if you get a script that is just chock full of these kinds of messages, as we as we euphemistically say, um, it really is a it really is an insult to your talent and your ability and your skill because you you just see it and you say you know like the 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 illusion or the analogy i often make is to like tyler perry movies now tyler perry um you know if for those who don't know is an american filmmaker who is now a billionaire i believe had his own studio his own you know his own setup um here in atlanta actually and he's done very well for himself. However, uh, you know, he serves a very specific audience and uh, it's, you know, overwhelmingly female, very much Christian, these kinds of things. And so you'll see in much of his work, um, at least his older films, where someone will, will where the, the story will stop cold uh, so that someone can, can praise Jesus, basically. And that's how I feel oftentimes when I watch, for instance, um, Avengers Endgame, where they have that scene, I'm sure you remember, where all, all the female heroes are suddenly in one place at the same time. And they say, you know, it's the, it says the one scene that made the entire world loudly groan. Yes, yes, yes. Because they, they, they literally stopped the action to make this point about, you know, female empowerment. And the thing is, the audience didn't, doesn't need to be lectured to about, uh, about these kinds of things. They, they're already invested in these characters. And so they don't need to be told that they're great and have this 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 moment, which, you know, the theater I saw it, in, I think it was in New York and half the theater actually cheered and the other half was like, oh, God, because it, it took us right out of the film. But the, the point is that, you know, hopefully um, the the writing will improve and as such, the, you know, actors will be happier and they'll be chosen for, you know, for I guess for projects for better reasons, but you know, I don't know, given the state of uh, various conservatories that I've um, referenced before colleges and universities and these BFA MFA programs, which introduce a new crop of freshly minted uh, young people who've been uh, indoctrinated um, over the years into the industry, but we'll see um, what happens. Um, Andre, uh, how can people uh, find you and your channel and support you, sir? Oh, absolutely. You can uh, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, you just uh, look for the channel Midnight's Edge and it's there. You can find us uh, on uh, Rumble and uh, Odyssey also under Midnight's Edge. You can follow us on uh, Twitter. Uh, there you can find both the official Midnight's Edge profile and you can follow me directly under my name uh, at Andrea Einhardiot. So, and also we have a very active Facebook group and we'd love to see you there, of course. All right. I think I was a part of that Facebook group for a time, but then I left Facebook because I got tired of arguing with people. <laughs> yeah, Facebook will do that. Facebook will do that. All right. Well, uh, well, Mr. Einhagyar, I'll, I'll, I'll get it someday. Uh, I totally... No, but you, again, you did really, really well, better than most others. I thought you should... Uh, try to hear some of my closest co-workers try to say that. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'll take that uh, as, as a compliment. I definitely appreciate uh, you joining me today and also um, for your generosity. And uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll catch you next time or maybe I'll be on one of your streams. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'd love to have you. You're always welcome. So yeah, everyone also can check us out uh, in our live streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 a.m. LA time. 
and for every other time just do the math. We're always live. We haven't missed one show in like since we started four years ago.